That's like the national anthem of Christendom, okay? I just, I love it in Christ alone. He is our hope, he is our joy, and he is the one we find our identity in. I want to welcome you here to Westwood for worshiping with us. Thank you so much for, for gathering. We have several in overflow. We want to welcome you and thank you for worshiping. I know we have several watching in different nations around the world and throughout our country. Welcome. We are so thankful to gather together and to lift up the name of Jesus at a special time like Easter. I want to prepare you for a moment that's coming in your life. There's going to come a time in which you're strength is going to start failing. Your heart is going to start slowing down and the air is going to leave you. Your day of death is coming. And it's not just true for you, it's true for me, it's true for all of us. There's coming a point in time in your life in which you are going to take your last breath. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is to prepare you for that moment. So when that day comes for you to take your last breath, you are prepared for what is next. You see, Easter is a global celebration of the single greatest event in history. Never has anyone ever died and rose again, never to die again, except for one, Jesus Christ. And every year we celebrate together something that happened in the past that has everything to do with your future. And how you respond to the gospel dictates not only what happens when you take your last breath, but what's going to happen after that takes place. The good news of Easter is that you and I can find new and eternal life through a crucified and risen Savior. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we're going to be setting up camp this morning. As you're turning there, I'm going to talk to parents for just a minute. Parents, I want you to imagine for a moment that you have a child who is living 350 miles away and they're making bad choices. They are not walking in wisdom, and you get word about it, and you're going to write them a letter. What would you include in that letter that you would send to your child? Probably that letter would include two things. I love you, knock it off, okay? Both of those things would be in play. Well, that's exactly what's happening here in the letter of 1 Corinthians. Church at Corinth was a church that Paul had started on his second missionary journey. We see in Acts chapter 18, where he planted this church. And this, this church was in a world full of, of pagan idolatry, of, of lots of sexual immorality all around them, lots of different gods that they worshipped. And so he plants this church, and their lives are radically changed by the gospel. When they meet Jesus, everything changes. And then he, he goes on to other places around the world, preaching the gospel and planting churches. But then he gets word that the church back in Corinth isn't doing so good. That this church has begun falling back in some, some old practices, some ways of living that are immoral and foolish. And so he writes this letter, 1 Corinthians, to tell the church, I love you, knock it off. It's time to correct some of your behavior. And then we get to 1 Corinthians 15, where he lays out a doctrine, a truth that is radically important, not only to that church then, but it's vital to all believers here today. 
This is the third longest chapter in the New Testament. And he spends a significant amount of ink addressing the actual, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul begins chapter 15 laying down the the supremacy and the centrality of the gospel. There's nothing more important that Paul is proclaiming to this church than the name of Jesus and what he has done through his death and through his resurrection. You see, Paul saw the resurrection as utmost, the paramount truth that believers in Jesus rally around. And so maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus. I want you to know that there are three invitations that we see here in the text that God makes to you through his word. Or maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. You're still trying to investigate and think through about, are these claims true? Is Jesus who he actually says that he said he was? Is is he truly God the Son come in the flesh? I want you to know that today there is truth here in the text for you as well. There are three invitations that God is making to all of us here this morning through this text. I want you to see first that Easter is God's invitation to put a lifelong death grip on the gospel. A lifelong death grip on the gospel. Look what Paul says in verse 1. He says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul's, Paul's reminding the Corinthian church of the gospel that he, he preached to them. This wasn't his gospel. This wasn't stuff that he had received for himself that he just kind of made up like it was a fairy tale. This was God's gospel. God had revealed this truth to him and it so radically changed his life that he went from a persecutor of the church, a man who sought to kill Christians, a man who tried to stop the work of the church, was radically transformed by Jesus and became a church planter. He became a man who was so changed by Jesus, he made it his mission in life to preach this gospel as far as he could. And this gospel that he preached to the Corinthian church wasn't just information that they received. This was life-changing good news. They received it, verse 1. They were standing upon it. And they were being saved by it if, if, if they held on to it. That word it there, verse 2, it's a conditional word. It's a word that means it's based on how they're going to respond. Are they going to stay faithful to Jesus? Are they going to hold on to this gospel? Or are they going to walk away? You see, Paul was planting that question in their hearts. Are you going to hold fast to the gospel? The phrase hold fast, it means to keep secure, to keep possession of. You see, Paul was reminding the Corinthian church of the gospel and the benefit of being saved by the gospel if they held fast to the gospel. And y'all, this is why a local church is vital. 
This is why you need people in your life who are going to encourage you and challenge you and help you to be faithful to Jesus. You see, your heart and my heart, we, they lie to our, ourselves. Our hearts trend away from the Lord. We find other things more satisfying for brief periods of times where they don't ultimately satisfy. We look to other things that to kind of put our hope in. And eventually we find ourselves completely separated from Jesus. And Paul is challenging them, listen, I don't want you to walk away. I want you to hold fast to Jesus and this gospel. You see, every Christ follower must answer this question. Will I be faithful to Jesus or will I walk away from Jesus? You see, Paul was challenging the Corinthian church, don't walk away. Grab hold of the gospel and don't let go. This is a, a white-knuckled death grip on the gospel. Several years ago, Christy and I, we were on our way to Ethiopia to pick up our two sons whom we were about to adopt. And as we're on our way to Ethiopia, we stopped in Rome for a few days to kind of see the sights and check things out. And we spent some time in St. Peter's Basilica. It's a ginormous building that has up on top of it a dome that is just, it's, it's incredible. It's the largest dome in the world. And there's a place where you can climb up some stairs and you can get a closer look at the paintings of Michelangelo. And when we got there, we looked up, and it was majestic. It was breathtaking, the beauty that we saw. But then I made a mistake. I looked down. <laughs> Beneath my feet was a steel grate that you could see through. And I looked down hundreds of feet below me to little people that looked like ants. And y'all, I panicked. I freaked out. I went, <gasps> okay, lost my breath, heart starts beating, and I back up against the wall like Spider-Man, okay? I'm holding on for dear life. I grab onto the wall like, I, it's, it, like my life depends upon it. That's what Paul's communicating here. You're going to hold on to life-dependent death grip. That's what we hold fast. Just as I was holding onto this wall to try and save my life, so Paul is saying, hold on to the gospel. Don't let go. Hold fast to Jesus. And you hold fast to him for the rest of your life. This is something that you do for the rest of your life. This is not a, I'm going to follow Jesus for a few days or for a few weeks or until the summer camp high goes away, but then I'm going to go back to my old way of life. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You don't go back. You hold fast to the gospel. You persevere. You hold fast to Jesus. Several years ago, God began working in the heart of one of my sons. And at the age of eight, he, he gave his life to Jesus. And Christy and I, we saw great fruit in his life. And we contacted other believers in the church who were going to solidify and say, yeah, we're seeing fruit too. We're seeing growth in the gospel and so the time came for me to have the privilege of baptizing my son as not only as my son, but as a brother in Christ. But before I baptized him, I pulled him aside and I said, Noah, I said, a mark that you have an authentic faith in Jesus is not just the fact that you're following him at the age of eight, but that you're still following him at the age of 88. You see, following Jesus is a lifelong commitment. It's not just saying, I'm going to do this for a few years. 
I'm going to show up to church a couple of times. I may engage a little bit. I'll identify with Christ when it's convenient and comfortable. No, 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 no. He wants all of you. He wants all of your heart, all of your life, all of your commitments so that he is supreme over all things because you're holding fast to Jesus. He is the most important thing. It's kind of like if you're in an airplane and someone says, hey, this thing's going to go down and you're going to have to jump. You feel fear and panic. But then they provide for you a parachute. What do you do with the parachute? You put it on. You hold tight. You hold on to it because your life depends upon it. Well, y'all, listen. A jump is coming. There's coming a moment in which you are going to take your last breath. And so when that day comes, when you're going to go out of that plane, when you're going to be taking your last breath, being launched into eternity, what are you holding on to? And Paul's saying, listen, I want you to grab hold of this gospel because there's nothing more important than this, than holding on to Christ. Because he is the one who's going to save you. He is the one who's going to keep you. He is the one who's going to fight for you. He is the one who goes before you and secures your eternity. If you're here today or if you're watching online and you have not trusted in Jesus, I want you today to hear me. Jesus Christ bled and died for you so that if you trust in him, he promises to save you. It's a free gift that he offers to anybody who will trust in him. This morning, come to Christ. Trust in Jesus. Surrender your life completely to him. Well, Kenneth, how do I do that? Well, he tells us in verse 1. He says that the Corinthian church, that they received it. He even says in verse 2 that they believe. It's faith. It's not about trying, y'all. You're not made right with God by trying to do good things. It's not about going to church. It's not about doing good works to get God's favor. God says it's not enough. It's insufficient. So I'm going to send my son, and I want you to trust in him. You see, it's not about trying. It's about trusting Trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That he laid his life down for you. And you are surrendering your life completely to Jesus. So God's first invitation at Easter is for you to completely hold on to Jesus. With a death grip, lifelong holding on to his work for you. But I also want you to see, number two, that Easter is God's invitation to prioritize the gospel as number one in your life. Look what Paul says in verse three. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul's saying that this is the most important thing here. There's there's nothing more important than this. This is of first importance. If you're going to get anything, grab hold of this, Paul is saying. He's emphasizing the priority of of the gospel. He's saying, church, pull out your highlighters, underline, circle, grab hold of what I am about to tell you because this is of first importance. Yes, let's knock it off with the church divisions, chapters one through three. Yes, let's cast out the sexually immoral brother, 1 Corinthians 5. Yes, 
Let's stop taking one another to court, 1 Corinthians 6. Yes, let's have godly marriages, 1 Corinthians 7. Yes, let's stay away and avoid idolatry, chapters 8 through 10. Yes, let's celebrate the Lord's Supper with reverence, chapter 11. Yes, use your spiritual gifts to build the church, chapters 12 and 14. Yes, love one another with the love of Christ, chapter 13. But above all of that, 1 Corinthians 15, there's nothing more important than the gospel. This is of utmost importance. Why? Paul is making the point that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, he is fulfilling what the Old Testament scriptures were promising. He says that he died according to the scriptures. You see, this moment where Jesus not only dies, but rises again on the third day is of supreme importance. This weekend affects everything. In fact, if you fast forward to 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He says, it's a waste of time. Listen, y'all, if Christ is not risen, what are we doing? What a waste of time that we're doing here. Let's go eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But if Christ is risen, it's of utmost importance. There's nothing more important than this. And it's knowing Christ personally, trusting in his finished work for us. And Paul's saying there's nothing more important than this, to prioritize Jesus. But don't miss this. The gospel has life and death consequences. If you believe Christ's death and resurrection for you, you will receive eternal life. But if you reject Christ's death and resurrection for you, you will receive eternal death. Life and death are at stake here, y'all. This is why it's of utmost importance, is because where you spend eternity is dependent upon your response to the gospel. You can nod your head, tip your cap, and say, yeah, that sounds good, preacher. Go do your thing. But your eternity is at stake. Life and death are in the balance in, in how you respond to this. And so the urgent plea of Paul to the Corinthian church and the urgent plea of my heart to you is to believe, trust your life to Jesus. It means to bank everything you have completely upon what he has done for you. To trust in Christ says, I am entrusting my soul, I'm trusting my life, I'm entrusting my eternity to the person and work of Jesus and what he has done for me through his death and through his resurrection. This is important, and Paul says it's of utmost first priority. But maybe you're already a follower of Jesus, and you've been following Christ for a while, but you've kind of rearrange your priorities. Jesus hasn't taken first place. You've allowed other things in your life. Maybe it's sports or school, relationships, your kids, your career. You're, you're prioritizing other things other than Jesus. And you're going to find that every time you're standing on quicksand. Your life is going to fall apart because you were not designed, you were not made by God to find your satisfaction or identity in anything other than Christ. And when you begin to reprioritize your life around things other than Jesus, it reveals a heart full of idolatry. 
We're going to find our hearts bent towards things away from Jesus if we are not diligent to continually reprioritize our lives around Jesus and what he has done for us. If you're here this morning, or if you're watching in the overflow or watching online and you have found yourself, your heart trending away from the Lord, you have put other things before making him first priority. This morning, come back to him. God invites you, come back to me. Trust in me. My love for you is unfailing and it's perfect and I stand ready to receive you. Come back to me. And the Lord graciously allows his children, come back, trust in me. Church family, let's reprioritize our lives around Jesus. Let's make him of utmost importance, first priority in our lives. Why? Because he's the only one worthy of worship. He's the only one worthy of your praise and your adoration. There's no one higher. There's no one greater. He is worthy of every praise and honor and glory that you can give him with your life. It's a with your life and with your death. You give everything to him because you are trusting in him. Because Easter liberates you and I to reprioritize our lives around the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I also want you to see third and finally. Hey, Easter is God's invitation to proclaim the gospel to the world. Paul had traveled throughout Asia Minor and Western Europe planting churches, and he was preaching the gospel. He was proclaiming the resurrection. Verse 1, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Verse 2, hold fast to the word I preached to you. Verse 3, the message that I delivered to you of first importance. So what is this gospel? What is this message that Paul saw as primary, as nothing more important than this? Look at verse 4, excuse me, verse 3. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In verses 3 and 4, Paul is giving the content of the gospel. In all of its simplicity and in all of its clarity, he's telling the Corinthian church the greatest news ever given. It begins first that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. We covered this last week. In fact, you can go online and, and see how we talked about the death of Jesus and how when he died, it allowed us to find life. You're looking at these three components of the gospel in this series of Christ has died. Today, Christ is risen. As we're going to see next week, Christ will come again. And as we rally around this gospel, he's saying, listen, the crucifixion of Jesus, his death on the cross was so that you and I can be forgiven of all of our sins. I want you to know that no matter what sin you have committed, Jesus stands ready to forgive you. That's why he died on the cross. Whatever is in your past, whatever you have done, Jesus took your sin on the cross. He bled and died on your behalf so that you can be forgiven by God forever. And that's good news for the whole world. And that is a gospel worth proclaiming. That is a gospel worth preaching. Is a Savior who bled and died for the sins of the world. You see, the scriptures, verse 3, 
were the Old Testament writings that prophesied, that pointed forward to the death of the Messiah. You see, the death of Jesus on the cross was always God's plan. This was God's plan from the beginning. When you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you see sin enter into the world through Adam and Eve. When that first sin was committed, God was not caught off by surprise. He wasn't there wringing his hands, what am I going to do? Everything is, my plan's falling apart. No, 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 no. God already had a plan in place. And you get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. As soon as that first sin is committed, God tells the serpents. He tells Satan, the enemy, get ready. You are going to bruise his heel. He's going to crush your head. The seed of the woman is going to come and demolish you. It's a promise of a future Messiah, a future seed of the woman found in Jesus who died, was buried like a seed, and what happens to seeds? They come forth. Jesus crushed the head of the enemy through his death and through his resurrection. That is the hope that we have in Jesus. And this was always God's plan. God had a plan from the beginning. And it's a rescue plan, not only for the sake of his own glory, but for the sake of the salvation of those who would turn away from their sins and trust in Jesus by faith. That it's a free gift that God offers to anybody and everybody. That if you would repent and believe in Jesus, God will receive you. He will adopt you into his family. He will call you his own. He provides an inheritance. And he says, you will be mine forever. And it's a free gift to anyone who would humble themselves. Who would confess, I can't save myself. My good works aren't good enough to add up to what God requires. You see, when we couldn't get to God, God came to us. In the person and work of his son, Jesus, who was 100% God and 100% man, representing us both, he laid his life down on the cross so that those who trust in him find eternal life. That he died for your sins according to the scriptures. But the good news is, he was buried. He was put in a tomb. You see, this confirms, verse 4, that he was actually dead. There are a lot of, quote-unquote, really smart people who say, well, Jesus didn't really die. He just passed out. When you look at the Gospels of what happened to Jesus, he did not pass out. He was beaten, scourged, whipped, and crucified. The Romans were experts when it came to execution. Not only was he dead, they put him in a tomb. It confirms his actual death. He had to die. Why? Because you and I deserve death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Because of your sin and my sin, death is the wage. It's what we deserve. That's what we've got. So we had to have a substitute. We had to have someone come in and take our place. So Jesus was put up on a cross, laid his life down for us, and he was dead. He was buried. 
But the better news is he didn't stay dead. It was a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he got up out that grave. And he is alive today. The good news is that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Right here, in accordance with the scriptures, it's pointing to the Old Testament scriptures that looked forward to, that anticipated a crucified and risen Savior. You see, the Old Testament scriptures not only pointed forward to the crucifixion, but they also pointed forward to the Messiah's resurrection. This was the pinnacle. This was the apex. This was the spike of the football. This is where the game was over. God won the war through the resurrection of Jesus. And that is our hope for followers of Jesus. That because he rose from the dead, so too will those who trust in him. And that's good news for the whole world. That we've got to proclaim that Christ was died. Christ was buried. Christ is risen. And he is risen indeed. And there's coming a day in which he's going to come back. He's going to rescue his church. He's going to call us home. And when that day comes, we will be with him forever. That's why we celebrate. That's why Easter is awesome. Not because we get to wear pastels. Not because we get sugar highs off Easter eggs. and Not because we get country ham at dinner. It's because we have a crucified and risen Savior. And this is good news. Why? Because a dead Savior saves nobody. But a risen Savior can save anybody. No matter where you come from. No matter what you've done. No matter what's in your bank account, no matter what's in your past, God is ready to save anybody who would humble themselves and put their faith and trust in Jesus. He will receive you and he will forgive you. And that is a message worth proclaiming to the world. There's nothing more important than this. Because here's reality. Your moment is coming. That day is coming in which your, your strength is going to fail you. Your heart's going to start slowing down. The lungs are going to no longer have air to breathe. And you're going to take your last breath. And when that moment comes, you don't have to be full of fear, but you can be full of hope because God provided his one and only son for you who's not inside of a tomb outside Jerusalem. But he is ruling and he is reigning over all things. And if you trust in him, when you take your last breath, you can be confident that you open your eyes to a brand new kingdom and a brand new world that goes on forever.